to Average Joe's podcast number 32. Um, I'm Sam Heller. Unfortunately, Mike Van Erman is not here to be with us today. We have a few different things to talk about, um, starting with looking back on the past season. It's been a few months since there's been any dodgeball other than the May Day tournament. So I feel like that's an ample amount of time to determine, like, a lot of times when we do the podcast, we get so wrapped up into what is now that we don't look back and see this is actually a crucial moment of the season or this was a not-so-big deal. But uh, I'm joined today by, I forgot to say this, I'm sorry, by Wes Peters of Central Michigan. He's their captain. Hey, hey. And Dan Shackelford of Kent State. He's their co-captain. Hey, everybody. So, Wes, looking back on the season, how do you think the overtime rule change affected it? Do you think it was good, bad, indifference? Uh, well, Central never really got to play any matches in overtime, but and I didn't really get to see any myself, but from what I've been hearing around the league, people seem to really enjoy it a lot better than the 10-minute uh, stall ball. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we played, I think, two. No, we played a three, and uh, we lost all three, but it was still a lot better and a lot more fun just to be able to be part of something that's Exciting, rather than like the um, the semifinals of Grand Valley and Saginaw Valley. I think was the tipping point, in my opinion, of both teams just kind of sat there, did nothing. I think the final kill main count was like eleven to ten, so it wasn't like anything happened in ten minutes. So, what about you, Dan? Um, yeah, Kent's second game of this last year was against Saginaw Valley, and we went into overtime. And it was one of the most exciting games that we had that whole semester. You were there, Sam. I mean, there was a lot of energy in the room when it was happening. Um, the old the old rules, you're right. The old way, it was a lot of stall ball. Um, it distracted from the game because you'd have players looking over to the, the other side of the court trying to count how many players were left. And it really just didn't have the kind of energy that we see now in this six-on-six. All right, so what any other rule changes? Do you, anything else there you guys saw that impacted last season? Looks like the silence is a no, so <laughs> moving on. Uh, what do you think the biggest games or biggest tournament of the season was, other than Nationals, obviously? If we're, if we're going off pure competition, I'd have to say the Michigan Dodgeball Cup, this uh, – featuring some of the top teams in the league. Um, anytime you have Grand Valley, Central, Saginaw, and Michigan State playing each other, you know you're going to have a great tournament. Or U.S.? Uh, I mean, I'd have to agree. You don't really get that many big schools together other than that tournament, you know. The JMU Beast tournament, though, I heard was pretty pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah the, Beast, the Beast was awesome. We had so many teams come out, and JMU always puts on – they always put on a fantastic tournament. Um, they had a huge fan base. We had a lot of people watching the games. Um, they got the, – the games were ultra competitive. I think we had – I believe we had two games go into overtime at that tournament. You don't see that very often. Uh, the one I would say is I don't – I would agree, MDC, but another one would be the – or early tournament, the Ohio State round robin. Um, Definitely. You had Kent State, Michigan State, Kentucky, all in the Final Four. 
And then you also have Ohio State, who's in the quarterfinals, Saginaw Valley, who's in the quarterfinals. If they hadn't had to play Kentucky or Saginaw Valley, I think that's it, or Kentucky or Michigan State in the um, quarterfinals, they might have been semifinal teams. So um, you just had a high-level play. Going into the tournament, we didn't think Saginaw was going to be as good. They proved to be pretty good when they beat Ohio State. We got better throughout the season. We didn't think Ohio State we were kind of like, they could be good. They weren't as good. They got better throughout the season. So the, the level of play that early in the season was what we expected from Southeast East Michigan State. We played well in the tournament as because we did at the end of the season. But if you look back just on pure numbers, that tournament has got to be up there with the Michigan National Cup. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I also think that that tournament was important because it was kind of Kentucky's coming out party. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, they they were not as cohesive as they were this year. Um, we really saw them come together with their strategy, with their team throws, um, utilizing ball control. Um, and they really, they took Wes, and they just kind of, they had their way with teams. You know, they got them balls, and then they protected them on the way back. Um, and they definitely came out strong, and they showed that they were going to be one of the top-tier teams of the 2012-2013 season. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, I thought we played pretty well at the tournament. Uh, we beat Kent, Kent State, excuse me, Saginaw and Ohio State. Um, we would get better throughout the season, but I thought the big team was Kent State. I kind of harped on them a little bit because they struggled with Saginaw Valley, who was undermanned at that time, and they lost to us and Kentucky. But you would see them grow from that. They got a lot better um, by even their next – I think the next turn you guys played was the uh, MSU invite, right? I want to say so, yes. And even from that tournament to the MSU invite, you guys got a lot better. And then from that point on, you got loads better. And you're already a good team, so um, what about U.S.? Shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I walked away for a second. What was the question? Just, like, some teams that you saw grow from earlier on in the season to later on. You could say something. Uh, definitely. No, <laughs> that's an easy answer. Definitely Ohio State, though. Yes. Mm-hmm. They started out very, very mediocre. And I know when we played them, they were they were very good in uh, at Nationals, even though we were a bit undermanned. Yeah, Ohio State is going to be – they're going to be one of the big teams to watch next year. Um, Definitely. As, as Sam has said, he's predicting Final Four. I'm also predicting Final Four. They have got some freshmen that can both block very efficiently, but they can also throw fast, and they have quick reflexes. They're very dangerous. These freshmen are also ready to lead. Um and I, I'm really excited to see what what's going to come out of Columbus this this upcoming year. And honestly, it's a little exciting here. They're like turning into a team like a throw hard, from what I've heard, because mm-hmm. in the past they used to just be catch, 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 stall, catch, catch, yeah. catch, stall. And now if they're getting that power throw in there, that makes them even more dynamic offensively. Um, Stringer, Stringer's uh, one of the focal points of their offense, and something that I have noticed is he has become much more proficient at watching his sides. If The way he plays, he comes down the right side, and he's got that throw. And, you know, it's heavy, but usually he's not watching his sides. Usually you can get him on a cross. These freshman blockers that have come into the team, 
they're all great. They pair up with him. They block for him really well. But Stringer no longer just gets caught on the side if he's alone. He's also very good at watching his side now. He's definitely changed up his game, and I think that really is a big part of OSU stepping up. Definitely. I know he took down quite a few of our catchers when we played against them. Okay, since we're kind of talking about that a little bit, um, we'll go with expectations now. Uh, we've already said Ohio State has a team with great that can be a great breakout team. What other teams do you think that should break out or continue playing at the level they've been playing at? Uh, JMU, definitely. They've definitely been underachieving, especially last year at Nationals, or this past Nationals, I should say. I thought they were going to go a lot further than what they did. I thought they might even probably were going to beat even Grand Valley again. I think they would have gone a lot farther if they hadn't had to play Grand Valley yet again in the quarters. Definitely. Um, that that game, James Madison Grand Valley on Saturday, um, this is going to be my fifth year in the league, and Kent plays, you guys know how much we play, um, that is the most exciting game that I have ever watched live. They they just went back and forth so hard. I couldn't believe it. James Madison, for being a second-year team, is just so impressive. They have grown faster than any other team. We never would have expected this out of an East Coast team to just come out like this. Um, and they have depth, too. They have so much pride in their program. They've got people coming in all the time. They've got, like, a 50-man roster. And all of these guys can ball. Their JV team is great. So yeah. they're, they're not going anywhere. You know, they're only going to keep getting better. You can count on them year in and year out in the future. We've played them uh, three times now. And they've beaten us all three times. And them and Grand Valley are the only teams that I ever got to play that I never beat. So that just shows you Michigan State, everybody considers Michigan State a top five or six school year in and year out. Mm-hmm. Like that we haven't beaten them in three chances just shows you Jamie's really good. And the fact that they've already beaten Grand Valley in year two, I don't think anybody had beaten Grand Valley in year two other than Ohio no. State. So that just shows you they're, like, up there. I would consider them number two team going into the country or going into this season. I just want to know where they get those kids, man. <laughs> they, like, grow them off trees or something, I swear to God. They've got a factory in Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> they're all athletes too like a lot of these teams like myself like I wouldn't consider myself that big of an athlete but like we I still made varsity James Madison kids are all athletes which is crazy to me that they're all super talented at other things that they could do but they chose to do dodgeball over this um, I remember in their first year they they were rocking the basketball style jerseys and our their coming out party, at least our first game with them, was at uh, Maryland, University of Maryland, the Invitational. Um, I remember just looking over at their team and just thinking, man, where did these kids come from? They they look they look like a football team. <laughs> they, they've got they've just got big athletes. It's it's quite impressive. All right, so another team I think could make a big leap is West Peters' team, Central Michigan. Not the Heat. I'm not gonna make any jokes about him being Chris Bash this podcast. Too late for that. <laughs> but Central Michigan, they get another five players that can ball. They could be easily top four, top five team in the country yep. just with how good of catching they got. The young players are getting good. Uh, they need another power thrower or two, but they get that. And I think there's no way they can be at least number two team in Michigan. 
What's up, Wes? What what can we expect next year out of Central? Oh God, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, recruiting's always been a sore sore spot for our school for God knows why. But yeah, like Sam said, a couple more catchers, and I would like to get at least three or four more throwers, and I think we could be back to being an, an elite team. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead, Wes. Oh, I was just going to say, the kids that we got, though, last year that stuck around, they're, I think they're absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Central, for putting up only 10 guys, Central Central puts up a pretty hard fight. Um, they're all smart, even, even their young guys. They know when to move up. They throw together. They move well. They get back to the baseline in time. If they, if they could get five players... Maybe three of those guys that are throwing above sixty, they would they get dangerous fast. I think. Yeah. Definitely. So that's what right. that's what we need out of you. Yeah. You to go out and get Try. those athletes. I mean, we had sixty people at uh, the first practices last year, and I don't know what happened to that. You need a welcome banner. I guess I don't know. Bryce scared them all away. Um, I definitely think another team next year to watch is going to be Towson University. Um, they've been growing very fast. Uh, their captains, Jonathan Shaw and Sean Smith, they are so dedicated to the league and to their teams. Um, they are always looking for ways to better their team. And I think when you have leadership like that, you can't go wrong. What do you guys think about Towson? We haven't gotten a chance to play them yet, unfortunately. Um, but they they were a good team from what I saw, and they're still missing what they say, like three or four of their top gunners. Yeah. Named yeah. Tobin. Tobin, I guess, is one of the best players in the league from what I've heard. Um, yeah. They get those guys. They get a good recruiting class. You know, they keep growing because they keep playing James Madison, but they also have teams in their area that they can like beat. That's the problem I think with Western Kentucky is that they play a good team, but they don't have anybody else, so they can just use that use that to beat on. You know what I mean? Definitely. So Towson can learn from growing from mistakes against James Madison, capitalize on that by beating lesser schools. Then they can go play other schools. They've already talked to us about maybe playing an MCU invite, which would be a huge trip for them. So just like the more they can play, the better they'll get, especially if they can get recruits. That's what I'm saying. I agree. I mean, we played them on day one at Nationals, and they were in almost every single point against us, and they took one against us. And, yeah, I just think they need a few more people, and they need to get the strategy down a little bit better, Definitely. like corner blocking maybe, shadowing a little bit better, and they'll be up there very quickly like JMU was. As sad as I am to say this, I think Michigan's time is coming closer to an end. I don't think it's over yet, but I think, you know, the glory years are behind it. Yeah, the days of all four Michigan teams being in the Final Four, I don't think that's realistic anymore. No. With the rest of the East Coast schools, the high schools, Kentucky. Needless to say, we're not going to have an all-star match uh, next year national that's going to be Michigan versus the world. Oh, no. We, we no, I it's from from a non-Michigan standpoint. 
from from my perspective, I mean, it's it's hard not to be upset at that. Um, I really enjoy seeing the power distribution shift um, from being one state rocking everybody to being all over the the regions. Because um, we've got uh, we've got the East Coast. You know, we've got down in Kentucky. We've got teams in OSU. Or teams in Ohio State, and then teams in Michigan. Yeah, as a former Michigan player, um, as long as the Michigan schools keep up their level of play, but the other schools catch up to that, is right. What I'm hoping for. Yeah. I don't want the Michigan schools to just all sudden suck, but I do want like Kent State, Ohio State, Bowling Green. I want them to be just as good as Central Michigan State Saginaw, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's good for the league if the whole league is, you know, exactly. right up there with each other. If they ever have a day where you can't be like, oh, we're playing Team X, that's a win. Yeah. Like, if, if we ever get to that day, then it ends up being That'll be an exciting day. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's see here. Ten ten years down the line we'll we'll have it uh we'll have it on television, right, Sam? I hope so. <laughs> It'll happen one day. Yes, right, what were you going to say, Wes? Oh, sorry. I was just going to make a joke. Oh, sorry that I ruined your joke. That's all right. All right, so talk about some breakout teams. Uh, what do you think are some teams that were up here but might drop just a little bit or drop a lot, in your opinion? Uh, you want to take this one, Wes? You want me to go? Uh, go ahead. Um, I, I definitely think Saginaw Valley is going to falter. Um, unless they have just a crazy good recruiting year, they're losing. I've I've talked to a couple of players. They're losing Mike Solier. They're losing Spencer. They're losing Sharp. They're losing Tory. They're losing Grayson Hood and Scott Lavalley. Um, and those are some players that are obviously top contributors to their production. Um, those are all leaders. And I I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen. I know Zach Phelps. Um, Zach Phelps and Max Seiler, you know, they're they're definitely leaders. They're going to be able to get some recruits, but I think they might have a rebounding year upcoming. What do you think, Sam? I agree. Um, as sad as I say, I, dis- I discounted them last year, I'll be honest. Going into the season, didn't think they're going to be as good as they were, and they ended up being great. Um, but when you say they're going to lose, I think four of those guys, instead of five even, were on their six-man overtime roster. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be hard to hard to regain from. Um, luckily, they keep their captains. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always crucial, so you can keep recruiting, keep the same mentality around. But I think it'll be hard for them. Uh, I do think they'll still be a good team, but I don't think they're gonna be top four team like they were this year. I mean, they've got the. They're always gonna have the mindset down. You know, like they're an established team in the league that is gonna have fantastic strategy and they've they've got that speed I I don't think that they're ever gonna I don't think they're ever gonna fall off but they're definitely gonna have to come back from from losing some players their fan base won't be going anywhere either no way (laughs) no Death Valley what about you as a team that you think could uh, falter a little bit honestly I don't know I see every team besides Saginaw's going to get hit really hard, obviously, like you said. Every other team in the league really is going to be improving, I think, in my opinion. Um, I think I think BGSU 
might I don't know if they're going to to necessarily fall, but I think they might have a rebounding year because I know they're losing Brady. Um, they will no longer be the Brady Bunch. <laughs> um, so they're they're going to have to find some replacements. I know I know they've got leaders on their team. I'm not really sure how how their recruitment is, but I know it's going to be tough for them to replace Brady's arm because he was he was the focal point of that offense. I think it'd be hard for them to replace Brady's connections too. Like he gets them to so many tournaments that it lets them improve a little bit, especially the younger team. They're going to take their lumps, but they're still going to get the games in. But I honestly have no idea who their new captains are. Um, I mean, that doesn't matter because I'm not in charge anymore, but, like, I don't know who's in charge. I don't know who's on their team anymore. So I think it'll be hard for them to just get invites to get to tournaments, other than obviously how to come to nationals. But they're going to have to host their own tournament to get connections again. Because uh, from – I forgot her name – Honestly, I'm sorry, but she used to do a great job, and then she passed on to Brady. So I hope Brady passes on her, like who all everybody is, so that they can get their games in. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure Brady has been has been training somebody. I'm I'm sure they'll uh, I'm sure they'll pick it up no problem. But uh, what do you guys what do you guys think about uh, UK for next year? I think if they keep their players, they're going to be a really good team. Um, but I honestly don't know who they lose, who they haven't lost. Uh, but if they're similar to what they were last year, they're easily top two, top three team that could win the championship. Yeah, I agree. I have no idea who they're losing either, to be honest. But I don't see the talent going anywhere. I know Wes isn't going anywhere. So. Um, well, I talked to Zach today, and – he told me that for the most part, they're not really losing any impact players, um, at least for the fall. What he told me was that they're going to graduate two bench players, um, and then they might lose two or two to four more players in the spring. But I know that he has at least three or four players that are going to stay around to do law school and med school. Um, Zach, Zach actually finished his undergrad in the spring, but he's going to law school, so we're going to see him for another four years. Enjoy. Zach, yeah, Zach, <laughs> yeah, he passed it on. He passed it on to some some young bloods, but I have a feeling that when they get on the court, Zach is still, when yeah. when their backs are against the wall, if, that, if it comes to it, which it does for every team, Zach is going to have to take over maybe with some leadership on the court because they always perform better when he's on the court and talking. Yeah. Um, any other teams you guys think could fall a little bit or uh, break out? Um, I know James Masson's just going to keep getting better. Um, from what I've heard, they're only losing one player and... So, I mean, they're, they're not losing, losing any girls, are they? McCarthy <laughs> <laughs> would be sad. <laughs> the whole Central Michigan team would be devastated. <laughs> um, yeah, they're losing. They're losing Mansell. So he was. Uh, I, you guys remember? He's the guy that uh, has the Florida Marlins cap. 
Um, oh, okay. It was his first year, but he was he was a baller. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they all throw hard. You know, they're they're really not going to have a tough time doing replacements. To be honest. No, they'll reload pretty damn quick. Yep. All right. So, what else? Um, do you guys want to talk about possible if we ever got a Hall of Fame? Who people of the last four or five years would be that you want in there, or no? Um, I I definitely think, and Sam, I I know you feel the same way that if we had a Hall of Fame, the first person that I would nominate would be Jimmy Stokes. Um, he's got. He's he throws a knuckleball that still flies fast as hell. Um, it's unnatural, but I, I don't know how he does it. But you can't catch it. Yeah, I mean, I played five years. I played close to at least sixty, seventy games, and Jimmy was the only player that I ever played that I was like, oh god, stay away from me. Like even Wes Hopkins, like Wes Hopkins, he throws hard, but you know where it's going, so you can brace for the impact. Jimmy's throw was so hard, but it would dance everywhere. So I don't know where he hit, and it was terrifying, honestly. Um, but he wouldn't be the first person I nominate. I put Bomus and Raymer in, just for all the work they've done for the league. Um, Raymer really got West Kentucky up off the ground. Bomus got Michigan State up off the ground. They continue contributing to the league. Bomus was the first commissioner for two months, and then uh, Raymer was. Still doing video stuff at this national, so I would put them ahead of him, but not like in a pecking order. But I would say I put those two in, and then probably Jimmy. Um, I definitely agree. Words words can't describe the number of hours that they've put into the league. Um, they've been they've been contributing for so long. Raymer, I mean he he got nearly everything filmed. He put up, you know, he put up for that that high def camera that that ended up getting broken. Mm -hmm. um, what do you, what do you think, Wes? Who who would you put up for the Hall of Fame? Uh well, I mean, I've only been in the league for three. This will be my fourth year, but the only one that besides what you guys have mentioned, it would have to be probably a little central bias. Would be uh, McCarthy, just because he won't go away, and he just. <laughs> does so much for the league, like, verbally and, like, I don't know. Yeah, and he was a good player, too. Honestly. Yeah, well, I guess so. <laughs> and he only he only played, what was it, uh, was it two or three years that he played? Three. Three. But he was probably one of the two or three best players I ever played against. Him, Stokes, and probably Sweet were probably like the three best players I ever played against. Yeah, sweet, sweet with that left-handed low ball, and he had such a quick release. You know, you wanna you wanna be expecting somebody, you know, on your right side of the court to throw a ball swinging around. He's got that. He's got a release. You can't. You really can't catch it. Yeah. Yeah. And he catches everything too, which is the scary part. Mm -hmm. Great all-around player. Yeah, that that central team of of nationals. What was it? Uh, two two years ago. Man, they they were scary. They they were all they, it, I you know obviously you can't remember perfectly, but when I look back on it, I just remember them all being six foot two, two hundred twenty five <laughs> pounds, just just popping balls every time they threw them. They they hammered Kent State. Man, we were just sitting on the back line. 
just got wasted by him. You know, you have Pat, Pat Fisher, Bryce. He can play that Ash Swiss on the team. Yeah. yeah. Brad Richardson, Sweet. Um, those four are all 6'2", six, 6'3", six, huge guys that throw hard. So. Very yeah. into Oh, and Fitz. Oh, and Fitz, yeah. He threw hard as heck, too. He threw harder than anything. Yeah. He was so intimidating. Just just stature on the court. Wes, you played that season, right? Yeah. It was so, definitely fun to be around them. Yeah. So when you have somebody like Wes Peters be your like seventh or eighth best player on the team, you know that team's stacked. Well, I was, you know, a nobody then. <laughs> well, what do you guys what are you guys thinking? Uh, should we discuss any possible rule changes for next year? I know there hasn't been much uh, much talk on the forums about them. Sure. Yeah. Um, one one that I know you and I have talked about, Sam, is and we discussed it at the captain's meeting, is the option to waive a shot clock violation. Yeah, I just said that because I don't like I feel like it's disrespectful just to roll the balls over when you get like everybody hit, unless it's like a you know, we did this for Kent one time. I don't know if you remember this Dan, but it was a bad call on a balls over. So we gave you guys your balls back. Um, I think that's Ohio State. Maybe we weren't playing you guys. I don't know. We were playing somebody, and it was a bad call. We gave the balls back. But I think if it's a bad call, you should be able to, you know, wave it off. Or if it's, you know, 10 nothing, like, you should be able to wave the balls over off. Yeah. This is, like, a mm-hmm. polite move. And it also saves time if it's, like, like you said, like, it's kind of like a lopsided match, and you get a balls over, it's – or if it's like you know, like ten men down to one man, and the one guy gets balls over, it's just kind of like it saves a little bit of time. Everyone doesn't have to run back to the line for no reason. Yeah. Um, and I know it's in the rule book that you're not supposed to like group together and discuss what you're gonna do for balls over, but everyone does it anyways. I've never, as a captain, like nobody ever told me I couldn't do that. So I think we should just be able to have the option, just be like, okay, never mind, just. Everybody go back to the baseline, keep playing. Um, another another aspect of the option to waive a shot clock violation is for strategy. Um, I remember we were playing James Madison at the Beast, and there was a shot clock violation. Well, well there almost was one against our last guy. But let's like let, let's drop a hypothetical. Let's say. It's let's say it's one on six. The the guy had there's about two seconds left on the clock, on on the game clock. There's a shot clock violation on on this last guy, this this remaining player. So if there is a shot clock violation, or if there you know if that if that came up, it would be favorable for the the team with the upper hand to not take the shot clock violation because if you think about it with two seconds left on the game clock they would have to run the whole length of the court in order to make a throw at that last man whereas if they waived it they'd have a chance to tag him you know what I'm saying just just little things like that I know that's a very hypothetical but I feel like as a league we should be discussing these things and hammering them out maybe 
for the if you wave it off, the opposing team has to go to the baseline, and you get to start at the central line. Okay. You can just like say, okay, you're at the baseline, I'm at the neutral line. You decide to not have the throw, and I say, no, I don't want the throw. I shouldn't be able to stay here because you shouldn't be able to like stop the clock. However, you stand where they are. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be too hard to like judge or something. I don't know. Yeah, and and I I don't. I don't really understand. I, I don't know. We haven't thought about it too much how how the actual waving of it would work if the captain would walk over to the ref, you know, with five seconds left in the shot clock and just be like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna wave this if if it comes to it." How how you would handle that situation? Um, but I think it's definitely something that we should discuss over summer. Any other rules, changes you guys want to discuss? You got anything, Wes? Uh, no, I honestly haven't thought about the rule changes since the captain's meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys threw me in this like last second. I didn't get anything oh. time to prepare. Sorry. constantly? No? I do, just, you know, not propose rule changes. Right. <laughs> um... Well, this is this is something that we went that we went over in the meeting last nationals, um, and it was shot down. But I think it should be opened up for discussion. Um, as it stands right now, if if you make a catch, but you are out of bounds, but you haven't touched the ground yet, the catch does not count. Um, and I think this is something. When when we brought it up, or when I brought it up, um, players were saying that it would be too tough for the refs to call, and I agree that it is a very tough call. But I feel like that's the refs' job to make the tough call. I feel like if you can get possession of a ball before you touch the ground, you should be rewarded for that. What do you think, Sam? Um, I see the pros and cons of it um, as. A referee, I can see, especially once you're on the baseline and you're coming down with the ball and you land your back foot out and you land your front foot in, I can see why it's like you basically had to catch. If you were an inch closer to the court, it would have been a catch. Or if you would have landed front front foot first, it would have been a catch. But at the same time, I don't want to reward players for getting out, basically. It's the same situation as the people that get hit with the ball and then go out of bounds, and they throw the ball back in bounds with a team throw, a team catch. I don't think that person will be able to come back in bounds either. I think it's just kind of like the same boat. What yeah, do I don't. Um, well, the, what what I think is, I, I if if you were to jump out of bounds, Sam, and catch a ball, and throw it back to me, and I catch it, I don't think that you should be able to come back into the game. But I definitely think you should be rewarded for making that play. I'm not sure how that, where that stands right now. About didn't we rule that you can throw it back in? Uh, you can throw it back in, but you wouldn't be able to come back in yourself. Right. Yeah. That's um, always been a rule as far as I remember. So. One one of the scenarios that I've thought up when thinking about not being able to catch out of bounds is what what happens if. Sam, let's say that me and you are playing against each other and you're on your baseline, you've got a ball, I've got a ball, and I'm at the attack line. 
let's say that I jump over the tack line to attempt a suicide, and you throw at me, I drop my ball and I catch it. Now, technically, I'm out of bounds because I've I've left I've left the area. I've left our my team's zone, but I caught your ball. So, according to our current set of rules, I believe that the catch would be null and void. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm kind of curious to see. You know what the ruling on that would be if it were to happen in a tournament. What do you think, West? Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that at all. I think the boundaries are personally there for a reason. And, like, this happened against us when we played Ohio State at Nationals. Uh, Riley threw it, and the kid jumped and caught it, and he landed with one foot out of bounds and the other foot inbounds. I I don't know. i just always have been a huge fan of it's there for a reason. Like, if you don't catch it's like the NFL. Like, you have to have possession – but in bounds. See, that's where I agree with it because I think it's we get our rules from other sports. The shot clock was a basketball idea that we changed for ourselves. I think that we should adopt the NFL style. We have to have at least possession of the ball plus two feet or I guess one foot because we'll be college football style. In bounds or hand in bounds or something in bounds. That's just my personal opinion with it, but yeah, um, I definitely can understand that for for the boundaries outside of the attack line. But then for for a suicide, what 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 would happen if you if you caught it? You know, because you can you can make the throw, so you would think you'd be able to make the catch. Also, would you would there be some sort of exception over the attack line? Or making catches over the attack line, but not necessarily out of the other boundaries. You know what I'm saying, you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with the suicide, it's you have to leap from inbounds on side on your half of the court before you throw the ball, or and, and then throw the ball before you land. So that's why you're able to make the throw with the suicide. With the, oh, if well, you did with the catch. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. What? What I was saying, the, the, my, my concept of making a catch out of bounds, I'm imagining me getting hit with a ball when I'm in bounds, the ball popping up and flying a few feet out of bounds, and then me leaping from in bounds and making the catch. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay. I haven't touched the out of bounds before I get possession of the ball. Obviously, it would, we, can't, we can't just be running around the gym <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. But I, I don't know. I definitely think we should at least talk about it a little bit. There's nothing wrong with talking about it, for sure. But, uh, I don't know, you guys, do you guys have any other any other rule changes that you think need looked at? Opening rush? Just kidding. <laughs> I actually... My friend was watching The Bachelor the other day, and they had a guy like break his finger because they were playing dodgeball. And they had the old opening rush. The guys ran into each other and he broke his finger just running. Ouch. I was like, that's why we don't play that way. Yep. I love the new rush. We're just we're getting better all the time in this league. <laughs> 
So anything else you guys want to talk about? Wes, anything you want to talk about? Uh, I'm good with whatever you guys want to talk about, honestly. Well, we're... Let's, let's see here. Um, You got anything, Sam? Not particularly. I discussed everything I was thinking of. Yeah, I think I think we basically covered everything. Alright. Well, you guys want to say bye then? I, I guess we're signing off. Yeah. This is Dan Shackleford, number 33, co-captain of Kent State. Uh, thank you guys for spending some time with us. I'll see you all in the fall. This is Wes Peters, number 27, captain of Central Michigan. See you guys in the fall. Hope you have a great summer. And thank you guys again for listening to Irish Show's podcast. This is episode number 32. Uh, me and Michael will be back sometime within a month, I hope, to get some more information out to you guys. Thank you.